Welcome to Rebecca Reads. Today's story is Mondamin, or the origin of corn. This is a Native American myth, and the version I am sharing was collected and written by Henry R. Schoolcraft. Schoolcraft lived in the early 1800s, and he studied Native American cultures and wrote many books about them. He was an agent for the American government that worked with Native Americans in what is now Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota starting in 1822. Soon after his arrival, he met and married Jane Johnston, the daughter of a Scottish-Irish fur trader and a daughter of an Ojibwe chief. She taught Schoolcraft Ojibwe language and about her mother's culture. He was very interested in Native American culture and spent much of his time working with Native American tribes and learning about them and trying to help them. Not everything he did helped them. Sometimes he made the mistake of thinking he knew what was best for them without really asking them what they thought. Unfortunately, that happened all too often back then. The story we are reading today is one Schoolcraft learned from one of the tribes he worked with. Just like other cultures throughout the world, Native Americans had stories or myths about the creation of the world and how various things came to be. There is one thing I want to explain before we get started. If you don't know what a fast is, fasting is going for a period of time without eating and sometimes without drinking as well. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for Mondamin, or the origin of corn. In times past, a poor Indian was living with his wife and children in a beautiful part of the country. He was not only poor, but an expert in procuring food for his family, and his children were all too young to give him assistance. Although poor, he was a man of a kind and contented disposition. He was always thankful to the Great Spirit for everything he received. The same disposition was inherited by his eldest son, who had now arrived at the proper age to undertake the ceremony of the Ke'ig Uish Im Owin, or fast, to see what kind of a spirit would be his guide and guardian through life. Wunz, for this was his name, had been an obedient boy from his infancy, and was of a pensive, thoughtful, and mild disposition, so that he was beloved by the whole family. As soon as the first indications of spring appeared, they built him the customary little lodge at a retired spot, some distance from their own, where he would not be disturbed during this solemn rite. In the meantime, he prepared himself, and immediately went into it, and commenced his fast. The first few days he amused himself, in the mornings, by walking in the woods and over the mountains, examining the early plants and flowers and in this way prepared himself to enjoy his sleep, and at the same time stored his mind with pleasant ideas for his dreams. While he rambled through the woods, he felt a strong desire to know how the plants, herbs, and berries grew without any aid from man, and why it was that some species were good to eat, and others possessed medicinal or poisonous juices. He recalled these thoughts to mind after he became too languid to walk about, and had confined himself strictly to the lodge. He wished he could dream of something that would prove a benefit to his father and family, and to all others. True, he thought, the Great Spirit made all things, and it is to him that we owe our lives. But could he not make it easier for us to get our food than by hunting animals and taking fish? I must try to find out this in my visions. On the third day he became weak and faint, and kept his bed. 
he fancied while thus lying that he saw a handsome young man coming down from the sky and advancing toward him. He was richly and gaily dressed, having on a great many garments of green and yellow colors, but differing in their deeper or lighter shades. He had a plume of waving feathers on his head, and all his motions were graceful. "'I am sent to you, my friend,' said the celestial visitor, "'by that great spirit who made all things in the sky and on the earth. He has seen and knows your motives in fasting.' He sees that it is from a kind and benevolent wish to do good to your people, and to procure a benefit for them, and that you do not seek for strength in war or the praise of warriors. I am sent to instruct you, and show you how you can do your kind, and show you how you can do your kindred good. He then told the young man to arise, and prepare to wrestle with him, as it was only by this means that he could hope to succeed in his wishes. Once knew he was weak from fasting, but he felt his courage rising in his heart, and immediately got up, determined to die rather than to fail. He commenced the trial, and after a protracted effort, was almost exhausted when the beautiful stranger said, "'My friend, it is enough for once. I will come again to try you.' And, smiling on him, he ascended in the air in the same direction from which he came. The next day the celestial visitor reappeared at the same hour and renewed the trial. Once felt that his strength was even less than the day before, but the courage of his mind seemed to increase in proportion as his body became weaker. Seeing this, the stranger again spoke to him in the same words he used before, adding, "'Tomorrow will be your last trial. Be strong, my friend, for this is the only way you can overcome me and obtain the boon you seek.' On the third day he again appeared at the same time and renewed the struggle. The poor youth was very faint in body, but grew stronger in mind at every contest, and was determined to prevail or perish in the attempt." He exerted his utmost powers, and after the contest had been continued the usual time, the stranger ceased his efforts and declared himself conquered. For the first time he entered the lodge, and sitting down beside the youth, he began to deliver his instructions to him, telling him in what manner he should proceed to take advantage of his victory. "'You have won your desires of the great spirit,' said the stranger. "'You have wrestled manfully.' "'Tomorrow will be the seventh day of your fasting. "'Your father will give you food to strengthen you. "'As it is the last day of trial, you will prevail. "'I know this, and now tell you what you must do "'to benefit your family and your tribe. "'Tomorrow,' he repeated, "'I shall meet you and wrestle with you for the last time. "'And, as soon as you have prevailed against me, "'you will strip off my garments and throw me down, "'clean the earth of roots and weeds, make it soft, and bury me in the spot. When you have done this, leave my body in the earth, and do not disturb it, but come occasionally to visit the place to see whether I have come to life, and be careful never to let the grass or weeds grow on my grave. Once a month cover me with fresh earth. If you follow my instructions, you will accomplish your object of doing good to your fellow creatures by teaching them the knowledge I now teach you. He then shook him by the hand and disappeared. In the morning, the youth's father came with some slight refreshments, saying, My son, you have fasted long enough. 
If the Great Spirit will favor you, he will do it now. It is seven days since you have tasted food, and you must not sacrifice your life. The Master of Life does not require that. My father, replied the youth, wait till the sun goes down. I have a particular reason for extending my fast to that hour. Very well, said the old man. I shall wait till the hour arrives and you feel inclined to eat. At the usual hour of the day, the sky visitor returned, and the trial of strength was renewed. Although the youth had not availed himself of his father's offer of food, he felt that new strength had been given to him, and that exertion that renewed his strength and fortified his courage. He grasped his angelic antagonist with supernatural strength, threw him down, took from him his beautiful garments and plume, and finding him dead, immediately buried him on the spot, taking all the precautions he had been told of, and being very confident at the same time that his friend would again come to life. He then returned to his father's lodge, and partook sparingly of the meal that had been prepared for him. But he never for a moment forgot the grave of his friend. He carefully visited it throughout the spring, and weeded out the grass, and kept the ground in a soft and pliant state. Very soon he saw the tops of the green plumes coming through the ground, and the more careful he was to obey his instructions in keeping the ground in order, the faster they grew. He was, however, careful to conceal the exploit from his father. Days and weeks had passed in this way. The summer was now drawing toward a close, when one day, after a long absence in hunting, once invited his father to follow him to the quiet and lonesome spot of his former fast. The lodge had been removed, and the weeds kept from growing on the circle where it stood, but in its place stood a tall and graceful plant, with bright-colored silken hair, surmounted with nodding plumes and stately leaves, and golden clusters on each side. It is my friend, shouted the lad. It is the friend of all mankind. It is Mondamin. We need no longer rely on hunting alone, for as long as this gift is cherished and taken care of, the ground itself will give us a living. He then pulled an ear. See, my father, said he, this is what I fasted for. The great spirit has listened to my voice and sent us something new, and henceforth our people will not alone depend upon the chase or upon the waters. He then communicated to his father the instructions given him by the stranger. He told him that the broad husks must be torn away, as he had pulled off the garments in his wrestling, and having done this, directed him how the ear must be held before the fire till the outer skin became brown, while all the milk was retained in the grain. The whole family then united in feast on the newly grown ears, expressing gratitude to the merciful spirit who gave it. So corn came into the world. Thank you for listening to Mondamin. Is there anything you learned about the culture that told this story? What did they value? What kind of food did they eat? What kind of lives did they live? What things did the Heavenly Messenger teach once about growing plants that you have learned about growing plants? Why do you think corn was important to these people? Today's poem is Laughing Corn by Carl Sandburg. It reads, There was a high majestic fooling day before yesterday in the yellow corn, and day after tomorrow in the yellow corn there will be high majestic fooling, 
The ears ripen in late summer and come on with a conquering laughter, come on with a high and conquering laughter. The long-tailed blackbirds are hoarse. One of the smaller blackbirds chitters on a stalk and a spot of red is on its shoulder, and I never heard its name in my life. Some of the ears are bursting, a white juice works inside. Corn silk creeps in the end and dangles in the wind. Always, I never knew it any other way. The wind and the corn talk things over together, and the rain and the corn and the sun and the corn talk things over together. Over the road is the farmhouse. The siding is white and a green blind is slung loose. It will not be fixed till the corn is husked. The farmer and his wife talk things over together. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends about it. I like sharing wonderful stories with as many people as I can. Leave me a review and make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. Keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.